If you have a Bible, grab one. If you don't, we are a generous bunch around here. There's a yellow Bible in the pew in front of you. And you can use it today. If you have one at home, use it bring it with you. But if you don't have one at home, that one's a free gift from us to you. Just take it with you when you go, okay? Um, you can turn to book, the book of Luke, chapter 1. Uh, for those of you who don't know where Luke might be, it's page 897 in those yellow books, those little Bibles. There also are, are, are you version notes are up on the app, so you can, if you've got your smartphone or your iPad or whatever tablet you use, you can pull it up there. Um, I realized this morning as I was preparing that, that my notes for today coincided with an anniversary. December, the first Sunday of December, 2005, I had a, you ever have one of those moments where life turns? You ever have one of those moments where life term, turns and it catches you by surprise? It was a Sunday morning not too different from this one this week. We had a bunch of snow. I got a phone call from our, our, our then pastor, Eric Van Buskirk, to have me go check out the roads. Said, I'm not sure we're going to have uh, service this morning. Where are the roads like in your way? We had a really long driveway at that point, so I, getting in and out wasn't exactly an easy task. So I got up, put on some boots and a coat, and I just, I just took a walk, honestly. I walked down the driveway because there's always a potential that on our driveway you're going to get stuck whether the roads are good or not. So I took a walk, went down the end of our driveway, walked down to the, the crossroads near our house and looked down, and it was, everything was snow-covered. The time I walked back up, my wife uh, gave me two, two messages. Pastor called. He already canceled service. And I'm pregnant. <laughs> First part I got, come again with that second part. <laughs> See, because we'd already had two children, two lovely baby girls. I was completely fulfilled as a as a father. I didn't feel like I needed anything else or anyone else to make me more fatherly. We had determined we weren't going down that road again. The snow was flying. Couldn't go anywhere. I hate snow. I'm from Ohio. Grew up right here in Ross County, but I spent part of my uh, teenage years in Florida, and that just ruined me on anything having to do with winter. And so I didn't want to go any, amen, do I, do I hear the, where's the amen at, hallelujah, okay, we're all in this, I'm amongst friends this morning. And uh, I remember sitting there, I remember processing, sat in a recliner, and I, I must have said wow 500 times that day. And it, what you don't understand about that moment is, it was, ex- it was emotional for me. Not because I, I mean, we didn't want more children. We'd already made that determination. But it wasn't just the fact that we didn't want more children. It was the fact that our dearest friends had just determined they were ready to have kids. Just weeks earlier, they had lost their first one. And here we were, just weeks after that, not wanting to be pregnant. And I sat and dealt with it all after. Was heavy. We couldn't go anywhere, and we finally made a phone call and had them meet us. We pulled into the parking lot. We met at Tim Hortons of all places. Pulled into the parking lot. As soon as we pulled up next to them, pulled down the window, and the husband looked at me and goes, "Your 
pregnant, aren't you? And I just started to cry. I started crying. That day was really hard on that level. But I sat there that afternoon. Now, snow was flying outside. And I watched a movie called The Gods and Generals. Anybody seen it? Historical movie about uh, the Civil War. And if you watch a big hunk of the movie, it's about Stonewall Jackson and his battle with death. I remember watching the end of the movie and there's a funeral procession. And that, that moment, the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, Aaron, and in a few years you'll be doing that with the leader you love. So I'm dealing with this pregnancy thing. I'm dealing with that information. I'm trying to process all that. It was like that afternoon. It was like somebody took, uh, just punched me right in the gut and all the air came out. You ever had one of those moments? One of those moments where, where everything just turns. Just suddenly you're just like, oh. How you deal with it? You know, when you have that moment, you, you, you've got certain things you've got to contend with. What are people going to say? How are they going to respond? What's going to happen next? How are the circumstances going to pan out? Why didn't, why didn't God give me a heads up? Why is that happening? And then you just start doing all... Anybody ever been at that, that point where you're just, you're just processing all the information? Ever been there? Ever been punched in the gut emotionally or mentally? Been there. In that moment when chaos erupts, what's, what's the... What's, there's got to be one thing that grabs you and holds you steady and holds you stable. You, you try and process. See, today, this month of December, we recognize the fact that God gave us the most amazing gift. And He did that because He wanted us. For some of you, the information that was the pivotal moment in your life was Maybe something really good like a job opportunity that you didn't see coming. And man, now you got to make certain arrangements and do, do new things. And for some of you, maybe it was the idea that, 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 that you're going to get a scholarship or a grant or be able to continue something you thought you are going to have to let go of. For others of you, it was probably something very negative. Maybe it was a, a, an unexpected pregnancy test that comes back positive or a diagnosis of some kind. Or maybe you woke up one morning with a note on the table and somebody very near you just decided they were leaving. You ever had that moment? Some of you maybe are, are, are already dealing with things like that. Can I encourage you along one thing? Things that may have happened in your life that look random and accidental and frustrating are not in God's sight those things. Something Greg read at the beginning of service, and I didn't tell him what to read. I don't even know uh, exactly where the passage was. I, my brain was flipping out someplace else, and I started listening. And I was like, oh, wow. Awesome. God is right in the middle of your mess. God's right in the middle of the chaos. Maybe today you've been told all your life that you were accidental, that you were not supposed to be here. Can I tell you something? In God's heart, in God's mind, just like Rose said over here a minute ago, God saw you before it ever got going. David Platt. Uh, said this, I thought it was awesome. Spiritual adoption begins with the initiative of a father, not the invitation of a child. God starts the process of bringing us to himself. 
We have choices to make in the middle of that, but he's the one who initiates. The Bible says we can't even come to him lest he draws us. And God wasn't willing for humanity to wait out in the darkness. He initiated a process of adopting us. Rick Warren says this, there are, there are accidental and illegitimate parents, but no accidental and illegitimate children. Parents may not have planned you, but God did. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. No matter where you find yourself this morning, there may be chaos, there may be frustration, there may be difficulty. But let me say this to you and, and know that it's the truth from the very beginning of the message that this is true. God wants you and he loves you. So to start that journey together, let's look at the book of Luke. We're going to start today and we're going to look at several people from scripture whom God used to make option possible or he actually adopted over the next few weeks i want to start in this story of a lady named mary she's confirmed one afternoon with some information that her whole life pivots on luke chapter 1 verse 26 would read like this in the sixth month of elizabeth's pregnancy god sent the angel gabriel to nazareth a village in galilee a virgin named mary she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Can you imagine this moment right here? Let me, give, let me give you a little bit of background about this lady, Mary. In fact, the matter, most of us would not consider her a lady. Not because of the activities she, did, she had entertained, but because of her age. Scholars believe that, that she was somewhere between the age of 13 and 16 she probably was camping out about the age of 15 when all this takes place she's confronted in the middle of her adolescence dealing with this kind of information now let me ask you a question anybody ever been in a house with teenage girls dude emotions run amok huh isn't it true Come on, I'm telling the truth. Emotions go crazy, right? And those are the good days. Huh? Those are the good days. I know whereof I speak. I got two of them sitting right there. 13 and 15. Even on the best of days, emotions are crazy and out of control. Trying to just keep up with life and things. Now imagine yourself, the age of 13 to 15, and suddenly dealt this kind of information. Talk about anxiety. You talk about being overly fearful. You talk about your emotions going absolutely bonkers, going absolutely out of control. Think about just for a minute, put yourself, I mean, I think of me as a, as a teenage boy. Dude, that would not be fun. And, and, and trying to process. There are probably things right now in some of your life that right now have you overly anxious. Right now, your emotions are completely wrung out. And this is December 1st. 
You know how everybody gets it all it is. There's too much to keep up with, too much to do, too much. And then by the time we get to like 15, uh, the 15th of December, we're like. <laughs> wore out, frustrated, worried, angry. Taking it out on the Walmart cashier. We've had a bad day and can't, can't stand the traffic. Didn't get the food we wanted at lunch. And, blah, 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 all that stuff. And, our, and we're just anxious and frustrated and angry and blah, just losing it, right? This is where Mary finds herself. I think she was overshadowed because mentally she's got all these thoughts running, all these questions. Lay in bed at night and all this stuff mentally just completely frazzled. Just completely, mentally just trying to contend with the ideas that have been been thrown at her. Later on, the scripture would tell us that she was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. You know why I think that was necessary? Because dealing with all of this, you know what? There needed to be light to dispel the darkness and the frustration. There was was something already lurking about, and she needed the, the power of God to dispel all of that. Because you know what? She had these thoughts... Just because she knew, man, I don't, what? Have you ever done that? Been in something and go, just, the only question is like, what? Really? With an exclamation point and a question mark. Really? And can't process. Just completely zoning. You like my sound effects? My kids seem to love them when I'm telling a story at the house. And then besides being overshadowed, overwhelmed. When she began to look at the landscape of life and the circumstances that existed, just overwhelmed. Because people know two things. She's a young girl. She's supposed to be a virgin. She's supposed to be getting engaged. And all of a sudden she comes up pregnant. And in Judea, in those days, that wasn't taken with just a grain of salt. She knew that that, that if this is absolutely true, whispering was going to begin. She knew that things were not going to go well, that people were going to ostracize her. They were, going to, they were walking down one side of the street, and when she saw her coming, they'd kind of go like this, in avoidance. She knew or thought that the possibility that Joseph would no longer, want to, didn't bargain for this, didn't want to hang around with this kind of thing, didn't want to deal with this kind of stuff, he may very well take a trip, take a journey his own self. She knew it was Certain people in her, her midst were letter law type people. If they had their way, she'd be ushered to the gate where the rest of the village would pick up rocks and begin to pelt her. Talk about overwhelmed. 13 to 15 years old with that kind of stuff going on, really? Over anxious, overshadowed, overwhelmed. That's, that's the epitome of that right there. Today, whatever has got you over-anxious, whatever's got you overshadowed, whatever's got you overwhelmed, can I tell you something? The God in heaven who's quite capable of handling the over-anxiousness, the overshadowing, and the overwhelming circumstances you find yourself in. And if you leave here this, this morning, all that, it won't be his fault, because he'll make a way where there seems to be no way. Today, as we consider Mary, Consider your own. We, we put Rose here on purpose. Because, you know, we, sometimes we sanitize the stories in Scripture. 
we sanitize them through a religious filter. And they sound real glorious and real pretty. This was dangerous for Mary. At the very least, it was dangerous for her. At the very most, it was heart-wrenching. And so it's not pretty. This is not a pretty sight. Don't forget the stained glass windows and the halo and all that stuff for just a minute. Imagine a 15-year-old girl trying to process all that. And so today, we saw Rose sitting here dealing with stuff that she didn't intend to deal with. Was she at fault? Was she wasn't at fault? Who knows? Was she participating in the party? Who cares? I don't know. She, 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 she is involved in something that radically changed her life. It's messy. It's dirty. It's ugly. Already God's at work. You'll see the rest of the story play out over the next few weeks. Already God's at work to remedy the situation. To carry her through. A seemingly insignificant interaction around a table near a vending machine. Suddenly maybe becomes a pivotal godly moment. Today, wherever you're at, God has a pivotal moment for you. Where you're over-anxious, where you're overwhelmed, where you're overshadowed. He has a moment for you. The question is, are you going to reach out and grab it when that moment comes? In Luke 1.34, we find the rest of the story gone. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm, I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Those are beautiful words. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. This is the, mo this is the pivotal moment. The, the moment of the initial information is, is huge, but really the pivot point starts right now in, this, in, in these two paragraphs. Blam, things change right now. It's a game-changing moment. Because suddenly the impossible becomes possible. It's beautiful. There are some people sitting right now in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, trying to figure out what happened. A game-changing moment occurred last night. And the only reason I bring it, up, bring it up is this. I heard a coach earlier this week approach about facing the Crimson Tide, utter these words. So what do you think your real chances are? And he says these words. Well, we're people of prayer around here. We think anything's possible. <laughs> I just had to go, yeah. And when I watched the game last night, I went, that is, that is, just, that is just like off the chart. You know what I mean? I, mean, I don't know what his faith is. I don't know, what, you know where he goes to church or he does. But the mere fact he utters those words and Nick Saban fights a call at the end of the game to get more time put on the clock and then that happens, I have to go, dude, that's awesome. That's a game-changing moment. And if you're a Tide fan, no, I'm not going to say that. Anyway, <laughs> um, game-changing moments happen. The tide has turned. Go on, my brother. Yes, sir. And, and, and game-changing moments happen in our lives. And the question is, are we going to seize them? You see, that coach, instead of playing the normal field goal unit, sticks his punt return guy just sitting underneath the goal post. 
That wasn't normally where that dude stood. He normally wasn't on the field goal team. Just in case, we'll make provision for the miraculous to happen. 108 yards later. No time on anyway. Okay. See, that's the kind of things God does. See, Mary utters these words, how can this happen? And in that moment, she doesn't realize that she's playing right into God's hands. Because he seeks for the weak. He seeks for the hurting. He seeks for those without possibilities. And he says, I can do something you can't do. I'm fond of those moments, he says. I'm looking. My eyes are roaming to and fro throughout the whole earth that I might show myself loyal. One passage of scripture I love, one translation says like this, to show myself fierce on behalf of those whose hearts are turned towards me. When she utters those words, she's walking right into the plan of God. Because in 2 Corinthians 12, there's this guy named the Apostle Paul. And he's contending with his own weakness and his own inabilities and his own frustration, his own carnality. He realized he can do some things or some things he can't conquer, some things he can't overcome. And in chapter 12, verse 9, you'll find these words. Each time, as, 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 as Paul went to the Lord about this weakness he had, he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. This morning, wherever the point, maybe the chaos in your life is because you've been very weak with some things. You can't overcome some things. You can't get over certain things. Maybe there was some abuse from the past. Maybe there's some abuse going on right now. Maybe there's some frustration. Maybe there's, there's some, some wisdom you lack or something's going on and you just feel very weak, very incapable, very inadequate, very messed up. And in this moment right now, God would say to you, my grace is all you need. acknowledges her weakness and that is the point of God trying see Paul would go on and say so now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me Mary wasn't boasting she was just making an, an admission but it became a, a place where she could see the hand of God at work game-changing moments happen when we recognize our weakness but they continue through the acknowledgement that God has something to say. And when he has said what he needs to say, if we will embrace what he has said, the whole thing turns right there. The whole thing turns right there. Because the real, the real moment happens just a few verses later where she goes, May everything you have said about me come true. One translation, you read it this way. Be it unto me according to your word. You see... She had processed, we talked about that, all the ideas, all the things that could happen, all the things that might have, how people might respond, what Joseph might do. Whether, and at that moment, she processed through that, and she relented. She came close to God and found that he was faithful, that he was true. And she makes a statement that is phenomenal. I am the Lord's servant. In other words... I'm not going to try and fix this. I'm not going to try and change this. The Lord has set certain parameters for my life. He's set certain angles for me to, want, to walk within, and I'm just going to follow. Jesus would look at some disciples a few years later who had determined they were going to walk with him, 
And he would make these kind, he would say this kind of thing to them. Pick up your cross. Count the cost daily and follow me. You see, when Mary makes this statement here, she recognizes she is in this for the long haul. See, this is just the beginning. This is not the end of the story. Everybody lives happily ever after. This is like chapter one, page one. There's a whole story to be written yet. A lot of pages to be filled in. And when she says, I am the Lord's servant, what she's saying is, Jesus, I'm going to let you write the pages. And it doesn't matter to me what happens next except that you're with me. And except that I please you. I wonder how many of us right now are in a really difficult, anxious, horrible, overwhelming, overshadowing situation, and we are trying to fix it, and God has us in that situation for a particular reason, and we're trying to draw the parameters and not letting him draw them. You see, because I've gotten to watch pregnancy at a real close, from a real close perspective. I have four now. Okay. Two girls, two boys. 20 months apart, each, each set, six years between. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Never know. And I've watched this lady walk through that process four times. When I've watched her, I recognize something about a lot, lots of ladies. The beginning is kind of, okay, let's get on with it, let's roll. All right. Then about 36 weeks. Can this just be over now? Can we just be done with this? On those mornings, Mary had to get up and go, God, I'm your servant. I'm not taking a shortcut. I'm not working around this. I'm going to be, I'm going to do what you want me to do. You want me for some reason. I don't understand it. I don't get it. Of all the people on the planet, you could have chosen. It could have been somebody else, but you chose me, and I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand. Maybe for some of you, you're trying to figure out why God's got you at the job he has you. Maybe for some of you, you're trying to figure out why God's got you in the neighborhood he's got you. Maybe for some of you, you're trying to figure out why he has you in the financial state you're in. Maybe for some of you, you're, tra- you're, trying, to, you're trying to figure out why emotionally and, and in the family that, that you're in, you're just having the same struggles over and over again. And why, why, why? And you're trying to work angles, trying to get out of it. If you just, if you just go, God, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. Lord, you draw the pages. You write, you write the pages. You know, you know the, the, the book of Psalms 139 reads like this, that he knew us, she quotes this, as we were being formed in our mother's womb. And then it says, goes on to say, all the days that were written for us are in your book. The problem is we haven't turned the page yet, and we don't know what's on the next one. But if you'd wake up, he's saying, go, Lord, I'm your servant. I'm not doing this my way, I'm doing this your way. Life would be a, it'd be a game-changing moment for you. May it be, be unto me according to you. May, may everything you've said come true. God, whatever you want, I want. But Aaron, this is ugly. Yeah, it probably is. Aaron, this is dark. Yeah, it probably is. Aaron, this is, I've never been through something so difficult. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. But in that moment, that's where God will shine his light. You see, those weaknesses and that circumstantial chaos, it becomes his chance to show strength and to light a dark world. So when Mary utters those words, it's one of the darkest moments of human history. God himself has not spoken for nearly 400 years. Now, like the book of Malachi ended, there's been nothing. 
God has not said anything. Greek, Greece, and Rome, and Persia, all those have run rampant all over the world. Now Rome's in charge, and it's dark, and it's ugly. The people of, the people of Israel and Judea are under, under, under the, 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 the pressure of the Roman Empire. They, don't, they, they know at any moment that Caesar could get uptight and just squash them like a gnat if he wants to, and they're just living with that. It's a very dark moment in human history, very dark. And God chooses the weak things, a little 15-year-old girl, in Judea, what Caesar would consider the armpit of the world, those people frustrate me. What are they up to again? And he just, just, just agitated, angry. He chooses them, her, to shine his light in a dark place. Maybe in your darkness, God's trying to show light. You see, when we embrace that game-changing moment, we find ourselves right where God wants us. The book of Romans is an amazing piece of scripture. You ought to read it sometime. Along about chapter 8, about halfway through the book, there's this amazing chapter. And in verse 15, you'll hear the Apostle Paul write these words. That he's given us the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. See, God wanted a family. He initiated an adoption. He sent his son named Jesus to a lady named Mary. She was just a person. There was nothing godly about her, godlike about her. She was just a human being just like you and I. She was given a great privilege, a great calling. She was beautiful. And she gets to be the, the vessel through which God would bring light to the world. John 1 1 would say this In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He created everything. Along about verse 4, you'll find these words In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. And I love this part. Verse 5 says this He came into the, into the world and lit, lit it. The darkness. New King James Version, you read this, the darkness cannot comprehend the light. Okay? It doesn't mean that the, the darkness can't understand the light. You know what it really means? The darkness cannot conquer, cannot quench the light. So how dark is it where you live? See, because Romans 8.15 is just before Romans 8.28. The fact that God adopted us makes Romans 8.28 possible. And that says this, and we know the Apostle Paul writes, that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. This morning, the only question in that particular piece of scripture is this. Do you love God? Do you understand that he loves you? Do you understand that he adopted you? He wants you in his family. Because if you do, suddenly the chaos begins to pivot on this one idea that he is the prince of peace and he works all things for my good. Psalm 37, 23 reads like this. For the steps godly. Now all of a sudden, some of you already have a religious idea about what that means. To be godly scripturally means, doesn't mean you get everything exactly right. And that you wear all the right clothes. You show church on the right time. And all that stuff. What it means is this. To be in correct relationship with God. Are you hearing me? It's not a matter of what you do. It's a matter of whose you are. steps of the godly are ordered of the Lord. And the next piece is amazing. 
He delights in every detail of their lives. Even in the chaos. See, God already had the details covered for Mary. He was already at work with her. I got up this morning, and it's kind of crazy. I grabbed my iPad, click open the U version, so get some devotional things this morning. And then you click in, you click in the U version. It like does this thing where it's like the, the verse of the day or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? If you've got any plans you're reading through, it kind of shows up there. And these are the words I read for verse of the day for today. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I'm counting on Him. I have put my hope in His Word. Yeah, that's what I said. Wow. Psalm 130, verse 5. I didn't even remember that verse existed until this morning. I read the rest of the chapter. You ought to read it. It's pretty awesome. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on Him. I have put my hope in His Word. So, if there's chaos lurking, if there's been a sudden change in your life, if suddenly you find yourself in a place of overwhelming, over-anxious, overshadowed existence, and you're trying to sort of, what, how, how do you conquer that chaos? You conquer that chaos like Mary did. You embrace the Word of God. You embrace His work and His plan. Ephesians 1.11 reads like this. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ. Big, big thing. Because. Because we are united with Christ. At this moment, the question is for many of you, some of you maybe, is are you united with Christ? Because if you are, the next piece of the puzzle comes into play. If you are not, this is a pivotal moment for you. Are you in Christ? That's the question. You should be asked, am I in Christ? Am I united with Christ? See, the Bible says none of us, none of us are without sin. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The ways of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. He would go on to say in Romans that all who call on his name shall be saved. We believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth. So we can deal with this idea of what you have with Christ right here, right now. And then suddenly the rest of the picture becomes into play. Are you hearing me so far? Visions 111, are you united with Christ? Because we're united with Christ, I was this, we have received an inheritance from God. And then Paul kind of put back a little bit on the paperwork, inheritance paperwork, and reads one line, section 107B maybe, I don't know, of the will. We read a line, he reads a line, for he chose us in advance, and part of our inheritance is this, he makes everything work out according to his plan are you united with christ because if you are he is going to take whatever chaos you are in right now at this moment he's going to make it fit his plan you got to rejoice about that you got to be excited about that there'll be something that leaps on the inside of your heart i'm in chaos but you know what god's going to do something significant and change it He's going to make it work according to his plan. How does he do that? I have no idea how he does that. That's what makes him God. How is he going to do that? I don't know. You've got to walk it out. You've got to let him determine the next step. Pick up your foot and let him put it down where it belongs. Let him order the step. He, he 
We conquer the chaos by realizing several things. God wants us. He wants you. He realizes that you are lost without him. He realizes that you are frustrated and angry. He realizes that, that, that you think everybody else is you, that you can't trust him. And he says this, I want you. And if that weren't enough, let me say this, because some of you already are working angles. I know how it works. Well, some people want people who can use them. You know, some people have been adopted into foster parents just because the parents can make a buck off the JFS. Big deal wants me. Back in the day, you'd adopt kids so you'd get more work out in the field. Big deal. God wants me. That don't mean nothing. Can I say this next thing? Not only does God want you, he loves you deeply and desperately. He not only wants you, he has deep affection for you. He, he wants you because you exist, because you're precious, because he sees that he made you in his own image. There's nothing God-like about you except the image you were created in. That's it. We're never going to be, you know, excel. Some, some ideas of belief is we're going to excel at some point and become divine in and of ourselves. Give me a break. Really? I have to get up with me every morning. No way. I'm about as far from that as can anybody can. Wow, no. But he loves me and he wants me. Look at those two conclusions. Raise the next thing. He'll turn it around. He'll turn it around. Turn water around. Whatever it is in your life. For Mary, it's this idea that she's pregnant, not married. And got things to plan for, things to do. He's going to turn that around and use it. And here's the other part. Not only will he turn the circumstance around, he will turn you around. God will do the miraculous in you. Mary would go down the road, visit her visit cousin Elizabeth, find her pregnant like the angel said, enter into the home, Elizabeth, as soon as she sees Mary, they haven't had a conversation yet, the door, the Bible says the baby within Elizabeth being six months pregnant leaps at the sight of Mary walking into the room, Boom! and she would say these words, <laughs> this is amazing, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed, what Elizabeth says to Mary. Why am I so honored the mother of my Lord should visit me? They haven't had a conversation yet. She just walked in the room. Elizabeth's not aware humanly that anything has transpired in, in Mary's life. She just walked in the room. Isn't that amazing? And then the next thing. When I heard green, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. That would, be the, that would be John the Baptist. That's who that young boy would be inside Elizabeth's womb. The next line is really important. She says, you are blessed. Because you have believed that the Lord would do what he said. The miracle happened in Mary. So there's a lot of things. The circumstances were still chaotic. The things around her were still crazy. She was still trying to sort through things. And inside her heart, something grabbed a hold of the word of God. And in a moment, her heart changed. In a moment, she embraced what God said. In a moment, she grabbed a hold of what happened, and her heart began to move. It. And in that moment where she grabbed a hold of God, grabbed a hold of his word, something, a blessing came upon her life, and God gave her the strength to move on, to face it and roll into it. 
gave her the ability, the blessing of God rest upon her, not because of the circumstances, probably in spite of the circumstances. In spite of the whispering, the gossip, all this stuff, everything, whether Joseph was going to go, go along for the trip or not. All that, all that stuff. And she, she is, we don't even know where Joseph is in this passage of scripture yet. We don't even know if he's even, where he's at. Many of you wives think we're a day late and it all short. Anyway, <laughs> Joseph just is walking in step. Joseph, not even, not even around in this, in this imagery right here, this, this scripture gives. And yet Mary's heart was sold on the fact that God had plans. He was going to fulfill his plans in and through her life. Is that beautiful and amazing or what? You guys are not that different than she. God's wants you. He loves you. He's got a plan for you. He, he, he's wa- he wants you in his purpose for all of mankind. He wants you in the purpose. He wants you. So, can I ask you a question? Where are you with all that? Have you embraced God's plan? Because here in a minute, we're going to hear the voice of Mary, maybe the voice of Rose. She's going to utter words from us, from a song. I want you to begin to process questions she probably had, questions you probably have right now. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, kind of our text for the next few weeks, and the idea of where we're going. Even before he made the world, verse 4 of Ephesians 1 says, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. I don't know what family you come from. I don't know what, 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 what the trajectory is that's brought you to this place, this moment right here at this time. But we extend an invitation to you to join God's family and to join us on this journey. And God promises us he'll walk with us. He'll never leave us, never forsake us. And he wants you, and therefore we want you in this thing called the family of God. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. The story of Christmas is this. God sent his only son into the world that the world through him might be saved. Saved from the chaos. Saved from the anxiety. Saved from the stress. Saved from the overwhelming circumstances. Saved from ourselves. Saved from trash. Saved from addiction. Saved from alcoholism. Saved from, 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 from things that devalued our existence. Saved from all of that. Saved us. I love this part. This is what he wanted to do. It's hot. Is it hot in here? Is anybody else sweating like I'm sweating? And check this out. This one phrase here is worth the whole price of admission. And it gave him great pleasure. Did you hear what I just said? I don't think you got it. Let's see if I can get in a rush. Carlos Hyde runs for 25 yards. It's touchdown. Wait. He wanted to adopt us and it gave him great pleasure. Can I say something to you? 
If you hooted and hollered better about the Buckeyes running a, running a touchdown across the stinking goal line yesterday than you just did about God wanting you and taking great pleasure for making your life something, something is disconnected here. Are you hearing me? Now, I hooted and hollered with the best of them. I want when that brawl broke out to be right there on the field and pull somebody's helmet off of their stinking head like happened to one of our guys. But I'm telling you what, if I, that can get me more enthusiastic than to think that Jesus, the God of heaven, wants me and takes great pleasure in my life, there is something wrong with me. And if I'll hoot and holler at a stupid football game on a TV screen, more than I will hoot and holler for the person of Christ and his love and his compassion and his salvation on my behalf, there is something wrong with me. It takes great pleasure for him to give you access to his family through his own life and his own death and his own resurrection. He says, listen, I love making something of your life. I love turning the chaos around. I love taking the weakness and showing my strength. I love taking your brokenness, brokenness and healing it. I love that. And this morning, wherever the chaos exists, he says, listen, this is an opportunity for you and I to walk this thing out together. Trust me at my word. Walk with me and we'll get somewhere. Amen. That's running across the goal line, brothers and sisters. Not some leather football. So, are you over anxious? Run this thing across the goal line. This is a chance for God to show his goodness on your behalf. For him to take pleasure in your life. Are you over, overstressed? Overshadowed? This is the chance. Is this, are you overwhelmed right now by the things of life? This is his opportunity to show himself strong on your behalf. Find hope in him. Find hope in his plan. Find hope today that he has a desire for you and the fact that you have a, that your life can reflect his glory and his love and his truth brings him great pleasure right here, right now. Are you hearing me?